All right. Hope you're doing well and have had a good week. We're going to jump into the Word of God and a new series, which I'm excited about. You get excited about any topic if you spend time in the Word of God about it. If you spend time in the Word of God, it becomes alive to you. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter the topic, as long as it's some kind of biblical topic. If it's about child-rearing, if it's about outreach, if it's about discipleship, if it's about some ancient history, if it's about health, whatever it is, if it's in the Word of God and you spend enough time in it, it starts to get in you and you become alive. It starts to get things moving in you. So I'm going to read a question here, and I want to know what's the first thing that comes in your mind when I say this. What comes to your mind when I say the word refuge? Refuge. Maybe a little different for each of you. A picture may pop in your head. A word like shelter, resort, safety, rest, peace. Refuge. I like that word. I do. Let me tell you how I know I've been studying this this week. For some reason, in my mind, every time, every worship song that was played today, I just kept thinking about, oh, it's the open door. Oh, it's the refuge. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. So in my mind, every worship song was about the refuge of God in our lives. Let me ask you another question. Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? This is what I had to ask myself this week. Do I consider myself a person of safety, of peace? Right? Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? I'm asking this, why? Is Jesus our refuge? Of course. Are we supposed to be like Jesus? Of course. So I had to think about that this week. I was studying this um, this week as we're going to jump into this series starting in Numbers 35. But the, I was already studying. This was already going to be my, my uh, series that we're, we are doing for the next few weeks. But my wife sent me a text on Tuesday or Wednesday of a, a picture of something my children broke. They break, it all, they break stuff all the time. I mean, my phone doesn't have that much memory, okay? So it was a tape measure that they like to play with. You know, the kid, one holds one end, one holds the other. It goes 25 feet. But they can make it go 25 and a half feet. Oh, yes, they can. Snap. (laughs) But this is what happened that gave me a little glimpse into my life that I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm confident in my Savior, Jesus. He loves me because of who he is, not because of who I am, but I want to be more like him. The text read, the kids were so upset, I'm going to quote, that you would be mad and never forgive them. Now, they're children, right? A little drama. But was there any speck in their heart or mind that was making them think, Daddy's not safe all the time? Daddy's going to be so upset, I don't know if he'll ever forgive me. Us. It was two of them. It takes two people to stretch out a 25-foot cord to 25 and a half. And I thought, hmm, okay, Lord. You love me. I'm not upset. I'm not depressed. I'm not frustrated. But I want to be someone who has greater refuge in my life. I want to be someone known as a person of refuge. Maybe when I asked you that question about refuge, someone popped into your head. 
oh, is that someone we want to emulate? That's where we're going with this for the next several weeks. Matthew Henry said it so well as you turn to your Bibles to Numbers 35. This is on your notes, the top of your notes, this quote. Numbers 35 is our text. In the cities of refuge, we're going to unpack all this. If you know everything about the cities of refuge, you're going to learn something new from the Word of God. If you know nothing about them, it's going to be a beautiful picture of the Old Testament and ultimately, as everything is, of Christ. In the cities of refuge, we find a great deal of both a, excuse me, a great deal both of good moral law, truth, right, righteousness, not sin, of good moral law, and of pure gospel grace. That's a good life, huh? I want to be a city of refuge. All right, so turn in your Bibles to Numbers 35. We're going to set this story up here. Children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. Jordan River, they're on one side, they're looking at Jericho. The walls are not down yet. It's a future ghost town, but not yet. They're looking at the might and power of Jericho. Jericho was said to be so large, the walls, they did uh, chariot races on top of the walls. That's how wide they were. Chariot races. I'm talking about a two-lane highway were the walls. When they watched around and worshiped and the walls came tumbling down, it wasn't some little thing. It was one of the greatest technological achievements of that time, and God, boom, in worship. So they're standing there looking at this great city and this culture, and God has separated a people to create a new culture and a different way of thinking and functioning and, and operating. So we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to set it up a little bit. Numbers 35.1, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, we need to understand first, this is the word of the Lord. Cities of refuge, a culture of grace and mercy, does not come from mankind. It does not come from a document of mankind, from an ancient culture, a culture that, that proclaims freedom and forgiveness and safety does not come from man. Man is broken and fallen and sinful. It comes from who? From God. So we want to look at God to create a refuge in our life, to be a person of refuge, a culture of refuge. This is important. Culture trumps everything. It, the culture you have in your home trumps what you say and do. The culture that you produce, it, produce is the most powerful thing, right? You've heard of the statement of work culture. What's the work culture? The work environment? And that is the feeling, the attitude, what controls uh, the way we do things, how we say it, all that. I want to have a culture of refuge here at this church, a culture that's full of peace, a culture that's, that's got um, acceptance. It doesn't deny truth. It doesn't change the eternal word of God. We hold to the word of God in all things, but it's just beautiful culture. I would say that's growing in community, right? how we achieve our vision of building a biblical community one family at a time, where well, we got to know God, grow in community, creating a city of uh, a, a refuge. Would that grow community? It would definitely. So we see that, that Moses hears from God in the plains of Moab, looking at Jericho and saying, when you go in there, you're not going to do things the way these cultures have done them. You're going to do them differently. 
All right, so let's pick this up. Numbers 35.6. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge. It's going to be six of these special cities to which a manslayer, someone who kills someone by accident, we'll, get, we'll unpack some of this this week. Obviously, it's a big, long series, so you have to come to every service. There. <laughs> And to those who you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will, you will give to the Levites shall be 48 cities. Remember the Levites, that tribe of Levi, had no possession in Israel. They go into the promised land. Judah gets a big old chunk of land because they're big. Simeon gets a big chunk. Um, Dan gets a small chunk because they're smaller. Le- the Levites get no possession of land. So where are you going to put them? Can't all camp around the, the, the tent there. Can't all live around the temple. What are you going to do? You want them all in one place? No, God doesn't want them all in one place. Every tribe will have Levites everywhere. 48 cities. I'm getting ahead of my notes there. But it's really good. That's why I got ahead of my notes. You will give to the Levites, uh, shall be 48 cities. These shall be given with their common land, and the cities which you will give shall be for the possession of the children of Israel. For the larger tribe you shall give many, for the smaller tribe you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that it each receives. Verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. So again, reiterating, he's going to make it clear to Moses, this is the culture you're going to produce because my people are going to be people of refuge saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you, for the avenger, or literally the avenger of blood, we'll talk about that in a minute, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you shall give, you shall... Have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan. So on the east side of Jordan where they are, three of the cities. And three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan on the other side, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge, shall be for, refuge for the children of Israel, not only them, for the stranger, non-Israelite, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. All right. Well, we have to do, I have to do a long intro here because this is like a long time ago, right? This is an Eastern culture, not a Western one. So let's understand why, why does God do all this in this culture at this time? Well, there's a reason. There's something called goalism in this culture, which means that if someone is killed, even accidentally, and the Bible goes through great detail, it says two guys go in the woods and they're, they're chopping wood down and an axe handle flies off. This is, you can read this in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, an axe handle flies off and hits a guy in the head and he dies. There is a family member, it's usually the oldest living son of that family, who's obligated to take care of business, to kill him. This is called goalism. It was prevalent in all of this culture. It still exists somewhat in our culture. But let me back all this up and put all this together so we can understand before we jump in our notes. We see this in Genesis 4. Remember Cain kills Abel, right? 
So Cain kills Abel. God comes and says, where's your brother? He says, what, I'm a brother's keeper? What does God say? The blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. You're a murderer. And he pronounces his, his punishment. He says, look, you've been right in the middle of, of uh, the greenest thumb ever. You can grow you can grow all kind of crops. You're phenomenal at it. It's like the curse that was on Adam. You're, you're so, such a great crop. Grow, everyone loves you. It's not going to be like that anymore. You're going to struggle your whole life, and you're going to be b- a bit of a vagabond. And he says, my curse is more than I can handle. My punishment. My punishment is more than I can handle. And he says, oh, and Cain's talking to God. If I leave and you drive me out, I'm going to be a dead man because everyone's going to want to kill me. Why? I killed my brother. There's not a lot of people on the planet at this time. Everyone knows who Abel is. Everyone knows he was murdered. And everyone wants to get justice for him. And that's relatives. They're going to kill Cain. God says, okay, I'm going to put my mark on you. No one's going to touch you. Or seven times is going to come on their head. This is a picture of this. We see it also in Genesis 9 right after the flood. I'm going somewhere with this. Just stay with me. Genesis 9, God's promise to Noah right after the flood, 9-6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. It's this goalism that exists. There is always a price for the shedding of blood that has to be paid. Goalism. So that's all this ancient Eastern culture. We actually see it in our culture too. Let me fast forward to Europe in the uh, 14th century. So y'all know the famous story of Romeo and Juliet. You heard that and I had to do it or whatever. Okay, so Romeo and Juliet. You got two families in Fair Verona, the Capulets and the Montagues, right? Well, they're fighting. They're in it. We don't know why. The story starts and there's a big battle. That's probably because a guy wrote it. And when you start a show, just have somebody fighting and guys will watch it. So what happens is they have a party, and don't ever leave teenagers unattended at any party. Mm -hmm. I did youth ministry 16 years. Don't do it. So Romeo and Juliet fall in love. All right, well, there's a problem. Everybody's fighting. No one likes each other. Juliet has a hot-headed cousin named Tybalt. If I'm mispronouncing my Shakespeare, it's not my field of study. Tybalt, he's hot-headed and he's mad that Romeo has fallen in love with his cousin. So Tybalt's friends are hanging out. And guess who they meet? Romeo and his friends. Well, like boys, teenagers, they get into it and start fighting. They get mad, and they're yelling at each other. They got their hands on their swords. Well, Tybalt, because he's a hothead and a quick trigger, grabs his sword and pulls it out because he's mad at Romeo, but he doesn't touch Romeo. Someone steps in, and he accidentally kills Romeo's best friend, Marcusio. Let me look at, this, look at this picture here to make it clear. That's actually what happens. Even though Tybalt was a hothead, he was not trying to kill Marcusio. He, had no, he didn't have a beef with Marcusio. He was mad at Romeo, but he accidentally kills Marcusio. Now, Marcusio dies. They all abandon it. All this stuff's happening. The cops coming or whatever. So Romeo has a good friend, and he tells him, let this go. This is not going to end well. Let it go. And Romeo does something. Way before he died, this is the first murder. Before, Ju- uh, before, before Juliet died, this is, the, this is the reason they end up dead. Romeo says, my friend's blood has been spilled. 
I'm going to get revenge. He goes into goalism. He becomes the avenger of blood, and Romeo ends up killing Tybalt. And that's the whole story of why they end up dying by their own hand, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo becomes this person. He says, "Mm -mm, I'm not letting anything go. You're going to die for this. Let me tell you a quick picture of our own history and culture where this exists. Next picture. (laughs) This is just a History Channel thing. Famous actors. The The Hatfields and McCoys. You killed my brother, there ain't no refuge here. You're going to die too. In fact, I love the quote, never forgive. I don't know if you can see it. Never forget. This is the culture that exists in the world. This is the unredeemed, sinful, godless, graceless, uh, mercifulless culture. This is it right here. We see it in our own lives. Now, 150 years ago, they just shot you with your 45, with, their, with your 45. That's not what happens today. It may be character assassination. It may be blame. It's other things that keep us from being a city of refuge, a person of refuge. It's not physical violence usually. Okay, If the cops come bursting in the door and arrest you, it was physical violence. I don't know what you did last night. Okay. This is the culture that's going on that is prevalent in the world. And God is going to create a new people, a new culture, a new way of thinking. Okay, thank you for your patience in all of that. Hopefully that kind of paints the picture. Now let's get to the Word of God here. Y'all good? All right. Let's look at this. Now we're back in Numbers 35. Let's read 6 and 7. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which the manslayer may flee, and to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give the Levites shall be 48. These shall be given with their common land. 48 cities all over Israel, everywhere. Let me show you a messy picture. Watch this picture right here. Man, that's a mess. I could not make heads or tails of that. Can you guys? I don't know where one starts and one one ends. Now, I want you to look at that closely. That may look like a little bit of chaos to you. That is strategically the hand of the living God strategically, I couldn't even figure out where one city started and where one ended. I need a pie chart or something. They're everywhere. You couldn't leave one city and get to the outskirts of another town and there were Levites there. Now, where were the Levites? Dedicated to God. Professional studiers of the word of God proclaimers of the word of God, encouragers. If you're full of the word of God, are you an encourager? Yes, you are. If you're full of the word of God, are you someone who walks in faith and confidence? Amen. If you're full of the word of God, can you walk into a rough situation and just say, well, I'm just going to proclaim the word of God. Does it make a change? Yes. If you're full of the word of God in a difficult situation, you're trying to figure out which decision needs to be made. You'll have some wisdom. Oh, also, what did the Levites do? They're the ones 
who did the sacrifices. Is that right? So every city had what in it? Blood in it. Every city had sacrifices in it and blood in it. All right, let's get to our notes here. Boy, they are just everywhere, aren't they? Number one in your notes. Close, godly influences create a culture of refuge. No matter where you lived in Egypt, was there a Levite city close? Was there a group of them stuck in there by the hand of God? Was it? You and I need relationships if we're, and people and environments that are close to the things of God. That is the hand of God that created that culture. Don't have all your best friends that don't know Jesus. If they're your acquaintances, that's fine. Don't spend all your time in ungodly influences. God wanted Levites everywhere. Let me give you a Cajun analogy. When you go to someone's house, you love them, but they don't make spicy gumbo. It, it's bland. It, it's, it's just, gosh, it's like it's rice and water. But they have some seasoning on the table. And before they can look, you grab it and you... Now, do you just leave it on the corner on the top where you put it? Oh, you stir that thing all over the place. You want that seasoning in every speck and on every grain of rice in that bowl. Is that right? That's what God wanted to make a city of refuge and a people of refuge. Every part. Amen? Every part, everywhere, he wants that. This reflects God's desire to evenly distribute the Levites, who were the most spiritually focused people in Israel. Their influence could be distributed evenly throughout the whole nation, no matter where they lived. It wasn't about Jerusalem. It wasn't really about Jerusalem yet. It didn't come till David's day. It was about God's people being everywhere and influencing every part all the time. That's what it was about. That's the city of refuge God wanted. All right, let's keep looking at this. Verse 10 and 11. We're right there in Numbers 35. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you for, from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. Okay, wait a minute, Lord. I really appreciate that you're giving us this land of milk and honey. This is so great. Thank you, God. But just so I understand, we're going to get there, and the first thing you want us to do is to give some of it away? Am I hearing you right there? We're going to get there. It's yours. It's all his. He gave it to him, right? And the first thing you want us to do is carve out a place for every Israelite it was 1,500 feet for their crops and another 1,500 feet for their cattle. It's about a half a mile space in each city. You want us to carve out all that and give that to them the first thing. 
Like we can't even put a tent peg in the ground? No. Is Levi, the Levites were his. That's what he says. They're mine. And I want you to give them a place right there. Tell you about making a city of refuge. Making a home of refuge. Do not ever be deceived. There is one thing, and it's a glorious thing, not a bad thing, that is required for you to be a person of refuge or you to have any place that is a place of refuge. Number two on your notes. Sacrifice creates a culture of refuge. Sacrifice is the only thing that creates a culture of refuge. Just look at the life of Jesus and look at the cross of our Savior if there's any questions about that. Amen? Y'all know that. This is not to make us feel bad. This is to encourage us, inspire us, let us know. Anybody came in tired? Anybody served other people all weekend? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Anybody got up early to take care of things here at this church? Oh, they did. Anybody came and set up all this? Are there there kids being taught the Word of God over there and right there? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a glorious, wonderful thing that they're sacrificing to create a place of refuge. It is the most beautiful, wonderful thing that about exists on this planet. There's a great quote. The value, excuse me, value is determined by sacrifice. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no value, right? So true. If you're new with us, we have a wonderful church. Wonderful. Y'all probably wondering what all, y'all wondering what this was up here, right? You couldn't even focus because you saw that Reese's bag, didn't you? Uh Uh-huh. It was hard for me to focus. This thing was here all week. This is, uh, we got a new copy machine last week, and I walked in, and look, I can smell a Reese's a half mile. I'm a bloodhound. And I walked in, getting ready to put the new copy machine in, and in the trash can was this thing in the children's ministry suite. It was empty, though. Empty. That was not happy. It's like, what? We didn't, we didn't give that to the kids. Those things are huge. Little heart Reese's. We didn't give that to the kids. I didn't get any. What in the world is what? I didn't know what it was until I came in here and I was going into the um, nursery to make sure things were good there. It was Monday. It was Monday. And this right here was sitting there because someone had left their gift. This says Anna on it right here. Anna, she, she's, she's, I saw her earlier. It was great temptation in my heart this week. Before the living God, I had to say, oh, God, this says Anna. This is not mine. She forgot it. I can eat my children's weight in these things, but I'm not touching it. Okay, this is too much. Let me explain. This is coming back to the word. I'm going to get there, I promise. Anna is a precious servant here. She does our children's ministry. Is that what she's doing now? She plays piano. Linnell teaches her. She's only 12 years old. Uh, preps the songs and all that. She sacrifices. She's 12. Now listen to me now. The Bible over and over talks about the sweet aroma of sacrifice. 50 times in the Old Testament, sacrifice and the sweet aroma to the Lord is connected. We're going to read one New Testament scripture. 
This is the sad, saddest thing in all of a Christian's life. I'm not talking about the lost. The lost said they need Jesus. That if we don't understand and live a life of sacrifice, you never get to experience the sweetness of it. The sweetness. This is just a gift from children's director saying thank you so much. Thank you for sharing God's love with our kids. This, when I saw this, I thought, that's what it is. That's what it means to sacrifice for the Lord, and this is what the Lord does for us. I thought, oh, I am so glad I didn't eat that. I would have ruined that illustration. <laughs> Never, ever stop because there's a sacrifice or it gets hard. Never do that. Oh, don't do that in your life. Oh, continue and strive and grunt and strain and let God make that a sweet aroma to Him and let Him give you the sweetness. Oh, the joy. What does the Bible say? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising its shame because He knew, He knew the sweetness. He knew what it would be at the end. Sacrifice is the way you get to a place of refuge. All right. I'm going to give this to Anna's mom, not to her brother, because her brother doesn't have the strength that I possess. I'm, don't even come up to the front row, young man. That is for a mother to give to her daughter, or there'll be sin in the camp. <laughs> oh, get that thing away from me. It's like the tie. That's not mine. It's got someone else's name on it. I don't want that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm free. Oh, I'm free. There we go. I'm going to read this scripture to you in the New Testament. Philippians 4, 16. Look at it right here. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. This is all throughout the Old Testament so beautifully. This is just a New Testament picture. Not that I seek the gift. Listen to Paul. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to who? You. You. For you, your account, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from the things that sent from you a sweet, what does it say? A sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? Oh, Lord, I want to live a life of sacrifice. Oh, God, show me what I must do. It'll be hard. There'll be difficulties. But oh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Oh, to create a culture of refuge. Oh, to be, create a place of refuge. Oh, to be a person of refuge. I want that. Do you want it? I know you do. God is calling every individual in here in America, in the world that is a Christ follower to be this person because the world is falling off the cliff, but not us. We will be a city of refuge in a dark and lonely place and people will come to our city. Come on. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's keep going here. Verse 13 and 14. We're back in Numbers 35. And of the cities which you will give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three on this side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, 
which will be cities of refuge. Three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. This was very strategic. Let me show you this picture right here. This is them in Israel. See the Jordan River? There's the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and they're split in half. Now, this is the neat thing about this. Every city, no matter where you were in Egypt, uh, in Egypt, <laughs> in Israel, no matter where you were, you could get there in one day. Salvation was accessible that one day from the avenger of blood who was after you. One day. They said a man could run there in a half a day. But even someone who couldn't run, too old, too whatever, one day you could reach it. Now that is beautiful. That is the hand of God. Let me tell you what that is. Number three on your notes. Availability creates a culture of refuge. When I think about the men and women in my life who were refuges for me, there is a common theme theme that runs through, doesn't it? And the same in your life. What is it? They were there for you, weren't they? Why is mama a refuge? Mama's there, right? When I think about the men in my life, when I was 18 and 19 and 20 and just dumb, didn't know what to do and whatever, they were there for me. That's how you create a culture of refuge, availability. Amen? Amen. So simple, but so true and profound, and we need to reflect and think about that. No matter who they were, a stranger, a non-Israelite, a sojourner, salvation was one day away. They could get there before the sun set. There's beautiful pictures in the Old and New Testament. Let's look at Psalms 46. Three times the psalmist here talks about refuge. There is a typo. It's Psalms 46, 7, not 6. I'm going to read 1, 7, and 11. It'll be correct on your screens. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That sounds like availability to me. A like right here help in time of trouble. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts, that's a military term, is with us. The God of Jacob is our what? Refuge. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Oh, what a beautiful picture of availability. And there is no greater example than our Lord and Savior. Let's look at Mark 6. Ooh, I got to go. Mark 6.31. The disciples just finished a long but very successful mission trip. They just get back to Jesus and they're tired. Verse 31 of Mark 6. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a desert place in the boat by themselves. Look, if I want to get to the marsh, I just get a Cajun with his boat, and no one else can get to me, right? 
But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities, arriving before them, and came together to him. He thought he was going to have some downtime. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was, what does that say? Moved with compassion. A mixed multitude. Everywhere in the Bible where it says multitude, it's not just Israelites. When it says multitude, there's some non-Israelites, maybe some Romans stuck in there, maybe a Samaritan or two. Remember, Galilee was only half Israeli at the time of Jesus, where he spent 80% of his ministry. Only half of it was Israeli. It was the gateway to the world. Remember, that was the, it was in the north. That was the trading routes. It was all kind of mixed people, a couple million of them, all in that huge area of Galilee. He saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things when the day was what? Far spent. His disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place and already the hour is late. He's been available to them all day after the busyness the day before. And then that's when it goes in the feeding of the 5,000. They say, look, you've got to get rid of these people. He goes, no. I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I will be available to these people. And in fact, you will too, because you're called to follow me. Feed them. I was just trying to give you a break, Jesus. Don't ever try to be God for God. He's God. Amen? Don't ever try to step in his shoes. And he'll say, all right. (laughs) Availability creates a culture of refuge. Come on, do we want this? Oh, I want it. I want it everywhere I go. I want it in my home. I want it when I go to the gym. I want it in this church. I want it in the morning. I want it in the new day. I want it in the evening. I want it. Because I only have one life to live. And all the good I can do in this life, let me do it now. I will not pass this way again. Amen? Come on, you got to want it. I mean, you got to grab that cross and hold on to it with everything you've got. you got to want it. Amen. All right. Whew, that's a lot for today. We're almost done. Let's round home here. Verse uh, 15, back to Numbers 35. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. There's a lot more we're going to get into in the future weeks about the accidental and known purpose and the murder and all that kind of stuff. But just for this week, we're going to focus on this one point. Israel, I understand that by my hand, by the hand of God, you're going to be my sword and you're going to wipe Jerusalem. I'm going to wipe Jerusalem off the, excuse me, Jericho off the face of the map because that's a tide to me and their wickedness is full up. I know that you're going to remove the wicked people that I've called you to because what I do by definition, what God does by definition is pure, right, just, and holy. By definition. Let no man come to you and say, well, the God of the Bible and the Old Testament was a meanie. Absolutely not. That is a flea yelling at a dog is what that is. I don't know where that illustration came from. I don't know if that was the Lord. (laughs) Y'all can discern. Absolutely not. He comes to them and he says, when they pass through, if it's a stranger, if it's a non-Israelite, 
even if it's someone who's visiting and their visiting donkey kicks someone in the head and kills them and the blood of that relative burns hot and wants to take them out, there's a place for them. That is a culture of compassion. That is a culture that does not exist in the world yet. God is going to create this from his people, Israel, a prototype of the church and Christianity. Number four in your notes, compassion creates a culture of refuge. Compassion creates a culture of refuge. Let's stand up. Come on, stand up, stretch it out. Don't come to that front row right there. We've got one other scripture I want you to read because it's all about Jesus, right? It's always about Jesus. Oh, it's always about him. Wonderful. Matthew 9.35. Compassion must be an element. It must be at the center because there will be no culture of refuge without it. It cannot exist. I'm going to show you right here in Matthew 9.35. Let's look at this. When Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sick and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, wait a minute. He just has been at a packed church, at a healing crusade, in all the villages. What are you talking about multitudes? He's already been with people everywhere. What does multitudes mean in the Bible? Mixed. Not just Christians. Not just a certain color or this and that. All kind of just a hodgepodge. Good, bad, and ugly. Go back to the 36. He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now I'm going to tell you, if that's not a picture of a city of refuge, if that's not a picture of a guilty, exhausted person, I don't know what is. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out people with compassion because that's the only way we're going to do it. The harvest, send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, this is the statement I want you to remember. There is no harvest, according to this text, without a move of compassion. When he was moved with compassion, that's when the harvest is going to come. When he was moved to a sacrificial state, that's when the harvest was going to come. Amen? There is no harvest without compassion. They are inseparable. So, you already are. We are. But I think God's just calling us to be a greater people of refuge. Amen? Calling you as an individual. You as a neighbor. You as a family member. Me as a father. You as a mother. Oh, God. How, Lord, you can do this by the Holy Spirit. With me, it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. But with God, 
all things are possible. All right, come on, just a couple minutes, you and Jesus. Put that picture up of refuge. And I want you to just look at that picture and reflect. The man running. There's nothing worth more that can ever I just want you to reflect on this. Nothing can come Oh, the Avenger. That sin, that, that guilt, those things that are after you. We didn't only do it on purpose. I mean, on accident. So much, so much of our sin is on purpose. But at the door, in a scared, exhausted state, there is a hand that grabs you. I love this picture. He grabs one hand of acceptance. And he puts up the other hand of authority. You see, the elders were in charge of the cities. And the elders, it wasn't only at the door, but as soon as you entered the city of refuge, if you could just break the city line, you were safe. And that hand reached out and grabbed that exhausted person. And the other hand reaches out and says, you won't pass. Not here. Ah. Oh. Let's come to them all together. 
let's come to him because it wasn't only a person of refuge. He didn't make an individual of refuge. What did he make? Cities, congregations, groups of his people that were refuge. Let's come together. Lift your hands if you feel comfortable. Just lift them up to the Lord. Oh, Lord, we come to you. We may not see ourselves as much of a refuge. But you are our refuge and you are in us. Therefore, we dare not speak contrary to the living God. If you have become the righteousness to us and because you're Christ Jesus and we're made righteous through you, then we can be a person of refuge. So Lord, forgive us in the areas we haven't been. Align and aright aright us right now, Lord, align us. We want to be people of refuge. Lord, we, we ask you for it. We receive it. We thank you for it, God. You are making us people of refuge. And through that sacrifice, Lord, as we give, in fact, we're receiving and you're teaching us to rest in you and in a greater way for you to be our refuge in the day-to-day issues of life. Oh, thank you, Lord. What a great salvation it truly is. And everyone said, come on now, you better praise him. He's a refuge. He's a refuge. Come on, he's a refuge. God bless you. You need prayer. Someone will be up here. You have a great day.